0: It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis.
1: And I'm Sky David.
0: What a mess it seems to be at the General Assembly. Battle lines are being drawn between the governor and the Senate, the Senate and the House. Sky, what is going on?
1: I don't think anybody knows what's going on, (laughs) including those involved in the process. Like we discussed last week, like you just hear different things from different folks as to what's happening. But I do know that they continue to say they're getting closer and they think they'll reach that number within a week or so.
0: So what do you think of the House kind of making this move this week where they hold appropriation meetings? It's not their time in the budget, right? The Senate goes first. What do you think's going on here?
1: Right. There were some stories last week that the House was just going to go ahead and draft their budget. Just go ahead and start. And so folks sort of thought that's what was going to happen. And I was in Gen Gov yesterday morning, on Wednesday morning, and basically a couple people raised their hand. They were like, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Can you just tell me what the process is? And uh, Representative Cleveland was like, I don't think I'm supposed to say this but we're just doing this so that the Senate will move. And <laughs> so he just blatantly said, like, you know, this is a dog and pony show.
0: Yeah. yeah. It certainly felt that way in the JPS committee. And then... You know, So for those of you new to the budget process, the way it works is one chamber uh, starts the process in a biennium. So this, this biennium, biennium, it's the Senate. They go first with a the budget, then it moves to the House. Last biennium, the House went first, and then it moved to the Senate. So by the House kind of having these appropriation meetings, it looks like they're starting the process. But one thing is kind of missing out of these meetings. Representative Sane kind of admitted it in the media yesterday.
1: There's only enough fiscal staff, uh, the folks that actually write the budget, to work on one chamber's budget at a time. So they can't split fiscal staff or both the House and the Senate will be hurting. So fiscal staff right now is completely booked up
0: by the Senate. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting yesterday, Senator Berger kind of took a shot at the House, right? Um, He had learned through media reports that the House was having these appropriation meetings. And he says it might get them here more than one day a week, kind of taking a shot at kind of this slow schedule over on the House side. It doesn't seem like we're at a healthy place right now.
1: It definitely does not. And I think that the Senate has been frustrated with the House for that scheduling for a while. So all of the frustrations, you know, when you're in a fight with someone, all of your frustrations that pent up those pent up things seem to just come bubbling out.
0: Yeah. And then Governor Cooper, he interjects himself in. He's at a council of state meeting this week, I think it was Tuesday, he's at a council of state meeting and he he's like, Hey, I'm a part of this process too. That the House started he said the House started at twenty six point four billion. The Senate was at twenty five point five billion. And then he was talking about like he's in this process, and while I think
1: he's at twenty six point six.
0: Twenty six point six. So he throws it in, and and it just seems like all three uh, institutions—House, Senate, and Governor—are going at each other, and the clock is ticking. We have until July one to get this budget done. But Sky, it's not just the budget, right? There's other fights going on. We saw a major battle this week in the in the Senate, in particular,
1: right. This was the first time since 2016, and that is when there was a law put into place where the Senate has to confirm Governor Cooper's or whatever whoever the governor is, his secretary nominees, kind of like you see in Congress. This is the first time that a committee did not approve one of those nominees, and it was for the Department of Environmental Quality.
0: Yeah, uh, the nominee is Dion Deligatti. And apparently there seemed to be a lot of flap about her inability to answer questions around pipeline and gas energy policy. And then the Senate yesterday, Senate Democrats, which uh, they walked out of the committee in protest, which seems to be something that they do. There's really no parliamentary remedy that they're giving. Like in Texas, where last weekend Democrats left, the Texas legislature and denied a quorum. The the Senate Democrats here in North Carolina, when they leave, they're just leaving, right? It doesn't, it it has no consequence on on whether this vote happens or not. Yeah. So we're recording this. uh, On Thursday morning, there should be a vote this afternoon in the Senate on this nominee. Apparently, this nominee will be rejected. A motion has been made. By Senator Paul Newton, Republican down in Cabarrus County. If this nominee gets shot down today, which it seems like that's going to happen, uh, Governor Cooper needs to come up with another nominee, and we've learned it cannot be her.
1: Right, he cannot renominate her.
0: All right, so we're 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 kind of considering having a section on the podcast where we call it the PCS of the Week because there was a big PCS this week in the House of a Senate bill. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So this was another version of unemployment benefits. And so over on the Senate side, we saw last week the Senate proposed their version or two weeks ago their version. um, Senator Edwards proposed a version that would pay folks to get back to work.
0: And then the House pretty much has a bill that cuts off the federal program of you getting $300 a week if you're on unemployment. So you would get your North Carolina unemployment, then you would get that extra federal money. Uh, Representative Jason Sane, PCS, Senate Bill 116, which had the very amusing title, Let Them Play, Let Us Watch. Sounds creepy. (laughs) Sounds creepy. This bill has changed into an unemployment bill. So we have two competing bills now around unemployment. And the reason they're doing this is because there's this narrative out there that, that people are not looking for work and getting work because they're making more on unemployment. And this is really hurting the retail sector, the hospitality industry. But it's also interesting because we have two competing unemployment bills. We have this budget impasse going on. And when you have a budget impasse, neither chamber really wants to hear the other's bill. So it's going to be interesting to see if either of these bills get heard anytime soon.
1: I agree. And what's Also interesting about the House bill versus the Senate bill is that the House, again, put their PPP provision into that bill. So it would allow for those expenses paid with PPP money not to be taxed. And, you know, there was a big debacle about that, which we have discussed in the past Mm -hmm. about the House versus the Senate. So they're putting some things in there they know the Senate doesn't like.
0: We had the pleasure this week of welcoming Senator Jay Chowdhury to the Do Politics Better podcast. He joined us for an interview on Tuesday. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina.
1: Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates.
0: Senator Jay Chaudhary, thank you for being on the podcast. We appreciate this. Well, it's great to be with you and Sky Brian. Where is your district exactly here in Wake County?
2: Well, the you know the short answer is that. My precinct that I live in, which is in the Cameron Village neighborhood, is the southernmost part of my district. But um, in fact, I do not now represent the Cameron Village Shopping Center nor Cameron Park. Um,
1: I believe it's not called Cameron Village anymore.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you corrected me. The village, the village district. Um, for listeners out there, uh, and so it travels. Um, it travels from there all the way north up to Granville County. Um, kind of running along Highway 1 and then runs uh, west to Durham County uh, up near um, Falls Lake and then comes back down, kind of running adjacent to Senator Wiley-Nichols' district.
0: Wow, yeah, that's a big shift from when you first ran in 2016
2: so my running joke is i think at this rate i probably represented 70 percent of wake county because <laughs> uh, my initial district when i ran in 2016 ran to Cary and all of morrisville which was western wake county and inside the beltline. line and then uh, last term i got redistricted and it ran down to lake johnson kind of athens drive high school garner And now, this time, I'm going up north.
0: Tell us about your experience in state government prior to coming to the Senate, because as I was thinking about the podcast conversation today, you and I met when you were working for Treasurer Janet Cowell.
2: Yeah, so I've been incredibly fortunate because I've had the opportunity to work at the highest levels of all three branches of government. So. After I graduated from law school, I did a clerkship at the Court of Appeals with uh, then uh, Judge McGee, who became the chief judge at the Court of Appeals. Uh, afterwards, I did an interview and landed my uh, legislative counsel position with the state senator by the name of Roy Cooper mm-hmm. when he was serving as majority leader. Um, I will tell you what. At that point, um, well, last term, my joke was I had a larger office as legislative counsel to the majority leader than I did as a state senator <laughs> in the minority. Uh, and then after State Senator Cooper got elected as attorney general, I spent eight years with him uh, as a special counsel and then spent my last six and a half years as the general counsel of state treasurer, Cal, before running for the state senate.
0: So the learning curve must not have been too steep for you. I mean, most bills are judiciary related and some, especially policy bills, and then uh, the treasurer has incredible amount of legislation moving through. This, this must have been something that, that you were prepared to do coming into the Senate.
2: You know, yes and no, because you're right. I mean, um, in, in both my stints in the executive branch at the Department of Justice and State Treasurer's office, you, had, you have a lot of interaction with the legislative branch but you also realize when you come to the legislative branch because you're no longer the executive branch that if you have a good idea you've got to convince 169 other people that it's a good idea yeah. and that's not so easy right. and uh, and so I think that that was a challenge when I uh, first came to the General Assembly was this notion of trying to work your committees working the chairs working the leadership and then work in the other chamber which you know I think a lot of people Able to realize how important it is to work the other chamber
1: speaking of good ideas what are some of the legislative priorities you've had since coming into office or some that you have this year
2: so you know my bread and butter issues have really been around education uh, I sit on the Education Committee I'm a product of Cumberland County Public Schools Both my kids go to uh, Wake County Public Schools I mean that that's really been kind of my focus um, but my other areas really have been around workforce skill development, um, and then you know this year uh, particularly, I've spent a lot of time on criminal justice issues. Um, I actually led a Senate Democratic working group uh, over a six-month period last last year. We heard we heard testimony from a lot of national and state experts we put together our own set of recommendations on how to focus on criminal justice reform. In many ways, I think it, it really prepared us for some of the great work that came out of the Senate uh, this session.
1: So can you talk a little bit about how you toe the line of recruiting Democrats to run for office and also working with the Republicans who are in power and how folks still like you? Kind of talk about how to balance that.
2: Oh man, that's such a tough question because I, you know i think especially in the senate because we're a smaller body i i think we're a more tightly knit body uh, you really defend you really develop personal relationships with uh, members across the aisle and then you know when in, in my role as whip i also play a significant role in recruiting candidates and raising money for our candidates and it's um it, it's hard to do but i mean in, in many ways i think most members of the Senate understand that you you're there to um, essentially gain power, which allows you to be in the majority and pass bills but uh, yeah but but you can but you can kind of divorce that from trying to work within the chamber. I mean, one of the things that I did when I joined the Senate is I spent a lot of time talking to other members who I respected, one was, representative rick glazier and um, some of the advice he gave me was never shame anybody on the senate floor which i try not which i've never done and uh never make it personal and uh, and, and really never question the motive for why somebody introduces the bill that they do and i think if you can kind of leave that aside i think you can have a good civil debate and agree to disagree and hopefully still be respected by members across the aisle
0: we, we talked to a senator, Senator Danny Britt. Um, he's been on the podcast. He's been around this table for Do Politics Better Dinner. He has introduced a lot of legislation around criminal justice reform, and he speaks really highly of you. Like, he says he really likes partnering with you. But at the same time, you would like to get that seat down in Robinson County, right? <laughs> yes. All right, so dig a little more for me here, Senator.
2: Well, you know, Senator Britt's a great guy. I will tell you that my relationship with Senator Britt actually started with our wives because they um, met each other through the Sir Walter Cabinet, which is a membership-based organization for partners and spouses of legislative members and elected officials. And uh, and that relationship developed, and, you know— Senator Britt's just a great guy. He's he's easy to get along with. Uh, I grew up in Fayetteville. Obviously, he grew up in Lumberton, so we, you know, share share that geography. Yeah. Um, but I've also felt really comfortable. I mean, you know, we co-authored an op-ed piece when the pandemic started that talked about setting up a small business grant program to help small businesses. And, you um, and so again, you know, I think part of it is I think he understands my role as Whip and what I'm charged to do, uh, but at the same time, you just try not to make it personal. And uh, and I think people understand politics at the end of the day is kind of a business. I mean, the bottom line for Democrats is to flip the chamber. The bottom line for Republicans is to put us back in the supermajority minority, excuse me. And again, I think as long as you're not making those Uh, you're not making it personal, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think people will respect you.
1: Can you expand a little bit on working for Governor Cooper when he was the majority leader?
2: Yeah, so I came in um, really for the last four months of his time as majority leader when he was running for attorney general. So, I mean, I had some opportunity to represent him on um, some juvenile justice work that he was doing, but really the you know the extent of my experience working for him was my eight years when he served as attorney general. Uh, I, I learned a lot of things from him uh, that I still hold dear today as an elected official. I mean, number one, which is really true about him, is the priority he puts towards his family. Mm. And I think that that's the same thing for me. I mean, to the extent that I can protect my weekends and spend time with my kids and my wife, it's incredibly important. I learned that from him. And I think the other thing that I learned from Governor Cooper, I remember going into his office uh, one day and he said, there's always two sides to a, to a issue. Sometimes there's more than two sides to an Mm -hmm. issue, but to be open to arguments, um, even if you may hold them, Dear to understand that there may be an opposing argument to an issue that you might be open to that you might actually be able to find a compromise to Some might argue that we're as lawyers we're trained to do that But I also think that you've got to be open to arguments if you want to be successful in the legislative branch
1: When you're describing working in all of these different branches of government, did you always Have an itch to run for office. How did you come about running?
2: That's a it's a great question. So I Really, when I got involved in public service, I didn't really have a desire to run for public uh, public office. And then uh, when 2015 rolled around and Josh Stein decided that he was going to run for attorney general because the attorney general was going to run for governor, so it was a bit of a domino effect. You know, the way that Attorney General Stein tells it is like, I was encouraging him to go run for Attorney general so the mm. seat would open up. And then my joke with Josh Stein is, well, you were running, you were encouraging Governor Attorney General Cooper to run for mm. governor so the seat would run up would open up. But no, I mean, I, I didn't have any uh, I had really no intent for running for office, but I think when the seat opened up, it presented an opportunity. One because the district at that point to me represented, Kind of what i call old north carolina which were you know several generations of families that are inside the belt line plus what i'd call kind of new north carolinians because there was a huge immigrant population in the western part of the district in morrisville and i felt like what better person that could speak to those populations than me mm-hmm. uh the other thing that was incredibly influential for me was i had read a column by david brooks in the new york times he does this column i don't know if he does it anymore but it's called life reports and he surveys americans in their 70s and he asked them if they could live their life differently what would they do what would they do to change their lives hmm. number one response was take a risk i wish i would have taken a risk earlier in life hmm. and so i looked at the district i said you know if the uh, i'm going to give it 110% but if i didn't win this election i wasn't going to run again but i decided that this was going to be my moment taken a risk, and I went out and I raised the money, uh, knocked on seven thousand doors four months straight through the dead of winter until early spring. Our campaign did forty thousand doors, and we did three hundred thousand phone calls, and I made a lot of those phone calls. And we had an incredible grassroots effort. And come primary night, we won by twenty-six points.
0: I want to ask you a process question: Governor negotiating with Senator Berger, negotiating with Speaker Moore. We know budget negotiations are happening. A lot of talks, bills get negotiated, uh, vetoes get negotiated. Are you in the room when some of these negotiations are happening? When these meetings are happening? I know there's there's breakfasts that are going on and lunch. How, how does can you give our listeners kind of a peek behind the curtain? If you will? Yeah. Um,
2: so look as. As whip, I mean, my chief responsibility uh, outside of my political responsibilities is holding the caucus together as necessary. And the fundamental belief as WIP is that if you can hold the caucus together... Uh, you have an opportunity to gain additional leverage when you're negotiating um, with the Republicans. And so uh, now that doesn't hold true with uh, with every bill, but certainly holding together is an important equation in trying to be at the table. Uh, when you talk about negotiations, they, they take place in different forms. I mean, there are, uh, there are meetings that only happen with the Senate, House leadership, and the governor. Okay. And then there are negotiations that happen separately on bills. And so I think you know, this session, I think there have been more negotiations that we're seeing between Democrats and Republicans uh, on different and various bills. So depending on your subject matter expertise, you may find yourself in the, in the room uh, negotiating with Republicans on make, trying to make changes to a bill.
0: Yeah. Do you think we get a budget this summer?
2: You know, I keep my fingers crossed about getting a budget, but um, certainly, again, you know, I mean, I think that the rivalry between the chambers sometimes trumps the rivalry between the parties, and uh, we saw a lot of that reflected, at least in the press reports that I read, uh, read yesterday, so I still think they're trying to agree to a top-line number, and I don't think that's happened yet.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, right?
2: I think it's easy to criticize when you're in the minority. I mean, yeah, yeah sometimes you're in the business of throwing stones, but governing is hard. Yeah. Governing is really hard and i have i have like grudging respect for uh the senate republicans and how they govern i mean i think you i mean there is discipline with that caucus and mm-hmm. their ability to negotiate and i don't agree with 99 percent of what they have pushed for but from an organizational perspective there's a lot to be learned
1: senator we ask everyone this question if you had a magic wand to fix one thing in our politics today what would it be
2: That's always a great question. I was thinking about that question. So if I could wave a magic wand, I would put all of the members of the Senate at least put us on a long bus ride from Murphy to Manio where we had this shared experience eating and drinking together and focusing on a couple of common issues. Like I, I I deeply believe that whether you're Democrat or Republican, we all want to improve the lives and citizens of the state. Uh, but oftentimes we don't spend enough time talking about those together over a long period of time. And so, if that could be done over a one-week time period where we were able to travel together and problem-solve those issues, I think we can we can do it. It's it's amazing. It's amazing how much happens outside of the building right mm-hmm. and I, I know in your previous podcast folks have talked about pre-ethics reform there was a lot more camaraderie that mm-hmm. existed among members and granted while you have those challenges I think there are other ways to design a program where we can spend time together and maybe that's a maybe that's a magical bus ride mm-hmm. uh, what's in it and
1: magic school bus the magic school bus
2: <laughs> of Democrats and Republicans trying to problem solve some big issues
0: sounds good yeah yeah I'd like that Senator Jay Chaudhary, we appreciate you coming on to the podcast. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you, sir.
2: Well, it's great to be with you, Brian. Great to be with you, Sky.
0: You know, Sky, it was really great having Senator Chaudhary on the podcast this week. Like I said in the conversation, I have known him probably for 15 years. Our first meeting was actually a negative meeting. Treasurer Cowell at the time was. Trying to push a policy in the General Assembly, and this is back when Democrats were in were in power, around a, a kind of a hybrid retirement system. And my client had a lot of concerns about this hybrid uh, system. It would have included some privatization. And so, meeting with Senator Chaudhary for the first time, you know, I always advise clients you want you don't really want your first meeting to be a negative one, but. He was so gracious, so such a problem solver, sat down, heard me out. We had some sessions with him and, and the treasurer, and, and it was just such a positive meeting. And so having him come into the Senate, I, I've really enjoyed working with him. I know you've worked with him on a few bills.
1: He is easy to work with, and I think that's why— both sides of the aisle really enjoy working with him on different topics. We had spoken in the past about the program evaluation division of the General Assembly that it was it is no longer with us mm-hmm. and they, it turned into the Joint Commission on Governmental Operations which there are a lot of members of that committee And they have looked into a couple different topics this year already. Um, There was the sports, the North Carolina High School Sports Association, Mm -hmm. and how much money they are keeping in their coffers. Also, they looked at the Atlantic Coast Pipeline pretty quickly, and they have hired staff for that committee. So it's not just members and their staffers looking up this information. I think in the first committee, Senator Vicki Sawyer said, you know, I just did all of this research on my own. My staffer and I have been working on this. Um, they hired both a Republican and a Democrat who would lead staff
0: um, on that committee. So we've said it before on the podcast. I think a lot of folks think that legislators have lots of staff. They really don't. They handle thousands of issues. And there's been criticism of the PED program. Were they at the behest of the chairs of a committee? We would sometimes see studies come out, and it was kind of what the chair wanted. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I did see this week that a letter was written to Senator Berger and Speaker Moore from a former PED. uh, He was the director of the program, still getting a lot of criticism, but it sounds like we are moving forward in a a good way.
1: Yeah, I think that that had like the signatures of folks that lead PED divisions across the country, and you kind of see him popping up on Twitter criticizing this move as well.
0: Yeah. So with all this going on at the General Assembly, with the budget impasse, with DQ, what do you think we can expect in the next week? I know it's hard to tell because things seem to be changing by the minute.
1: Yeah, if this were an emoji, it would just be the girl shrugging her shoulders. I
0: don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. What I do know is we are not going to see a lot of legislation move in the senate that are house bills and we're not going to see a lot of legislation move in the house that are senate bills i was speaking yesterday to an advocate who was uh, walking the halls on a bill and she asked me she listens to the podcast she stopped and asked me why i didn't think her bill was moving it was a senate bill that was parked over in the house and i told her it's it's being caught up into the budget And she said, well, it has no budget implications. This is a policy bill. And I said, everything right now is getting caught up in the budget. So you and I are hitting the road this afternoon. As soon as the General Assembly adjourns, we head to Charlotte for a board meeting for a client. While we're there, we're going to try to hit some other clients, stop in and see them. Are you ready for a ride to Charlotte with the top down, enjoying this beautiful sunshine.
1: So this morning I looked at the weather to see what I needed to wear today. And I saw that it was going to storm like all afternoon. And then like a sense of existential terror set in, dread, Mm -hmm. if you will. Because then I was like, oh no, we're going to have the top down. It's going to be raining. I'm going to be soaking wet. And Brian's going to refuse to put the top up on his car because of weather being a mental state so here
0: I am weather is a mental state or a state of mind as I like to say and also just the law of physics sky if you go fast enough then the rain can't hit you it just goes over you (laughs) well that is our podcast for this week we hope that you take the time to rate review Subscribe, share this podcast so that listeners can find us.
1: Download it, then undownload it, re-download it.
0: <laughs> That's right. We hope you have a relaxing weekend, a great week ahead. And remember to do politics better. Nice. We we
1: didn't send out stuff until like 6.45. I know,
0: I was lollygagging.
1: <laughs> it, it really is annoying for me when that you do that because then I can't read before I work out. And then it, you know, (laughs) shifts my own (laughs) schedule.
0: I'm sorry I'm not at work until 6.30 in the morning. (laughs)